Hey, it's Luke, and you're listening to the Tea Talks podcast. Once a month, I invite people to come over to my house in Atlanta and have some friends give short talks on anything they find interesting. We sip on tea, eat Pop-Tarts, and cultivate a community of curiosity. These are those talks being recorded live in my living room with my friends. Hope you enjoy. I read a study recently that Forbes had done surveying interviews with over 500 CEOs. Wide array of leadership styles, as you might guess, but there were some traits that were in common. You might guess what one of those was. It was actually typing speed, but no, I'm kidding. It was curiosity. It's 1598, and English playwright Ben Johnson writes every man in his humor. And there's a line in that play where one of the major characters says, Helter skelter, hang sorrow, care will kill a cat. Up tails all, and the pox on the hangman. And a year later, the same performer who said such line wrote his own play called Much Ado About Nothing. And in that he says, What courage, man, what though care killed a cat? Thou hast metal enough in thee to kill care. And after this, the phrase, care killed the cat, became an instant adage. And that tends to happen when the one saying the phrase happens to be William Shakespeare. Now in his time and culture, care was more closely associated with worry or sorrow. And as the definition of care changed, so did Shakespeare's saying. So as time to pass, people needed another C word that could threaten the nine lives of a cat. Well, curiosity went through a phase of being picked on by many renowned leaders. In 1639, you had John Clark, who wrote, He that prieth into every cloud may be struck with a thunderbolt. In Don Juan, Lord Byron called curiosity that low vice. And even St. Augustine, when writing Confessions in A.D. 397, said that in the eons before creating heaven and earth, God fashioned hell for the inquisitive. So, as care transformed in meaning and curiosity received bad press, cats faced the new assassin. And now we all know the saying, Curiosity killed the cat. Well, since Tea Talks is where curiosity and community come to steep, I kind of hate that gory proverb. I mean, I've always disliked cats, but not to the point of seeing them pass away. And curiosity is a powerful weapon, but it's no feline exterminator. So, it's time to rescue some cats and give curiosity some good press. And that's where Chip Chambers comes in. So, without further ado, here's Chip Chambers shining some light on curiosity. So I want to go into the field of medicine. And so one of my heroes, she is a medical doctor and she tells a story of uh, she's big on curiosity too. And one day she was working on the ward and she could tell all of her nurses and the clerical staff, they were just like going through the day as usual. And and she started talking. She's like, I want to convince you all that everyone is interesting. Everyone that you ever meet, they're a really cool person. And she could tell their eyes are glazed over. They're not buying what she's saying. She said, all right, I will prove it to y'all. I want, and she picked the chief resident. She said, I want you to go find the most boring patient on this boring patient on the ward and, and bring them to me. I'm going to prove to you they're interesting. And the resident said, oh, I can do that. Comes back, says, got her, room 71. So she takes all of the, the doctors and the nurses. She like drags them along. They're like, are you kidding me? We're tired enough. So they begrudgingly follow her into this room. And she begins to prove her point that there is no uninteresting person. 
Until there is. Uh, it would seem that this woman was about as bland as they come. Elderly woman, evicted from her home, no clinical condition, just admitted out of compassion, was struggling with depression and loneliness, monosyllabic in her responses. They couldn't get anything out of her. But she went to work. She started her phenomenal conversational skills. So tell me a little bit about yourself. No response. How are you feeling today? Meh. Um, you know, how's your pain? Bad. Um, anything make it better? No. Uh, how's the staff been? Uh, well, tell us a little bit about your history. You know, what have you done uh, through your life? I uh, just worked as a hotel maid my whole life. Well, uh, any interesting stories on like celebrities? It's San Francisco. Um, weird people there or something like that. And she goes, no. Um, okay. Well, uh, how long have you been in San Francisco? Years and years. Oh, oh, were you here for the fire, San Francisco fire? No, I came after that. Uh, oh, where'd you come from? Ireland. Cool. Um, at this point, she's running out of things to ask. Um, ever been in a hospital before? Yeah, once. Great. What were you? Not great. What were you in a hospital for? Uh, she said, I broke my arm. Okay, why'd you break your arm? Um, trunk fell on it. Okay, what trunk, what kind of trunk fell on? At this point, she's getting exasperated. Everyone just wants to leave. A steamer trunk. Why did the steamer trunk fall on it? Well, the boat lurched. What boat? The boat bringing me to America. Okay, well, why did the boat lurch? I hit an iceberg. What did you say the name of your boat was? The Titanic. And in that moment, she went from being the most uninteresting woman on the ward to newspaper reporters flooding into the ward, local woman, Titanic survivor, tells story. She had succeeded. She had proven that there are no uninteresting people. It just took a lot of work. Here's the crazy thing about that story. They never would have known that that woman was a Titanic survivor if one person hadn't persistently and dogmatically been curious about someone around them. In medicine, curiosity is a really big deal. There's evidence that doctors who took more courses in undergrad, regardless of what the courses were in, get higher ratings of personability from patients. Why? Because curious people want to learn about different courses and disciplines, whatever they are, and curious people want to hear other people's stories. Atul Gawande is one of my heroes. He's the CEO of the new healthcare venture between Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and JP Morgan. And he has a quote, he says, to see people's humanity, you must put yourself in their shoes. That requires a willingness to ask people what it's like in those shoes. It requires curiosity about others and the world beyond your boarding zone. Once we lose the desire to understand, to be surprised, to listen and bear witness, we lose our humanity. Among the most important capacities that you take with you today is your curiosity. You must guard it, for curiosity is the beginning of empathy. Curiosity, I want to argue, though, is big outside of medicine. It's relevant in all of our lives, in our day-to-day -day lives. And so today, I want to talk about three things. One, I want to talk about two different types of curiosity. I want to talk about why we aren't curious. And then I want to talk about how to do it somewhat on a practical level. I read a study recently that Forbes had done surveying interviews with over 500 CEOs, a wide array of leadership styles, as you might guess. But there were some traits that were in common. You might guess what one of those was. 
It was actually typing speed, but no, I'm kidding. It was curiosity, specifically applied curiosity, which the article went on to define as a relentless desire to know how things work. So CEOs would always go around their firm. Why do you do it that way? Why does she do it that way? And he does it this way. Why does she follow this protocol and he doesn't? Probably because he's a man and he thinks he knows better, but that's besides the point. But uh, an applied curiosity characterizes so many of CEOs because they simply want to know how things work. Toyota has a famous uh, management theory called lean methodology, and they say that there are always five whys to get to the bottom of a problem. Whatever someone presents as the problem is only the surface. It's the apparent cause. And you have to ask why, 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 why to get to the actual root cause of the problem. So applied curiosity is one type, and, it, and it's tremendously valuable, specifically in your career. But I think there's an even more valuable one. I came up with the term, so it's even better. It's called blunt curiosity. And it's not targeted. It's simply a desire for any type of fact or information or knowledge that you can get. And I think it explains, it's been well documented that Nobel laureates are remarkably well-read in fields that have absolutely nothing to do with what they won the Nobel Prize with. Like Nobel Prize winning physicists will write best-selling books on gardening. It's weird. Or like chemists will be famous cooks. Like just the other night, Luke and I were watching a documentary on creativity. And there was this dude on there that was an expert in dinosaurs, asteroids, uh, nuclear reactors. He was funded by the Gates Foundation to build nuclear reactors. And he also wrote best-selling cookbooks. Those people piss me off. Like you're not allowed to be good at that many things. But how does someone become like that, right? They're curious and they don't care what the discipline is. They just want to learn as much as they possibly can. So some people might say, okay, well, in an information age, don't you have to be really specialized, right? Don't you have to like forsake all your other interests? 10,000 hours, right? You've got to like pour 10,000 hours into one specific field. Uh, no, turns out you don't. Author David Epstein wrote a book called Range, Why Generalists Triumph in an age of specialization, which basically made the case for what it sounds like. Generalists win, especially if you're young. Uh, learning a lot about a ton of different fields ends up working in your favor because we're at the point now where your field, whatever it is, has probably already gleaned most of the ideas out of it. If you want novel ideas, it's got to come from outside of our field. So brilliance begins with a wide array of knowledge and the line between an interest and a career is really thin, especially if you're in an intellectual career like marketing or ministry or something like that. But it really plays out in conversation. That's where curiosity, I think, really makes a difference. And I'll tell you a story about when it really made a difference for me. Last summer, I was in New York working with the Greater New York Hospital Association, and I got to learn a lot. I learned a lot about finance and um, lobbying and all sorts of stuff. And I had a meeting one day with the director of HR. Gonna be totally honest with you, was not pumped about it. HR doesn't interest me at all. If some of y'all are in HR, more power to you, keep it up. Um, but I wasn't looking forward to this meeting. The dude was gonna look over my resume. I was like, whatever. So we look over my resume, he gives me some tips. Uh, we're talking, he's like really charismatic guy. It's going on, we start running over time, kind of looking at the clock. But I said, no, I wanna, I wanna try and be present. So I started asking him questions and he's giving me good answers. And finally, despite my total lack of interest in HR, said, so David, tell me, how'd you end up in HR? Well, I was in finance and uh, had a bad experience. So I switched it over to HR. Pretty standard story, right? Lots of people have bad experiences with finance. No offense, Mitch. Um, but I decided to ask him a follow-up. And this is where the breakthrough happened. I said, what was your bad experience with finance? He said, well, Chip, 
on September 11th, 2001, I was working for JP Morgan in the second tower of the World Trade Center when the plane hit. They evacuated the building and I began running down the stairs filled with ash and smoke. The building was heating up and I saw a woman uh, collapsed and I went over to talk to her and she said, don't take me, just leave me here. And he said, I'm not doing that. And I picked her up and I slung her over my shoulder and I carried her down 12 flights of stairs. I walked out and I handed her off to a fireman where a reporter snapped that photo. And he pointed to his wall to a picture of him covered in ash running out of the World Trade Center minutes before it collapsed with a woman over his shoulder whose life he had just saved. I didn't really know what a follow-up question from that looked like. So I said, what's life been like since then? He said, I see a counselor every month. I've never been back to the site. And I wasn't able to go back to finance after that. And so that's how I entered HR. Whew. Thank goodness I asked that question, right? We don't always meet someone that was a 9-11 survivor when we ask questions, but we do get to meet really interesting people. And so I want to challenge each of us to find the interesting people around you. Because the thing is, if we choose to give in to being tired and just put on another Netflix show like we often do, we'll never know the stories that we missed. I think everyone knows something that we don't. And it's our job in conversation to draw it out of them, whether it's riding in a banana boat like I learned today or that someone else's father uh, worked for the USA Olympic ski team. There's interesting people all around us. Curiosity breeds humility because the larger our island of knowledge, the longer the shoreline of wonder. Y'all probably heard that said before. I think it also makes you a better conversationalist, too, because you learn what other people know and what you don't. And as I've learned about law and about marketing and about gardening, things I know nothing about, I'm then able to converse with other people who are in those fields and who love those things. And don't we love conversing with people that show an interest in us that say, oh, I heard that this is a really recent development in law. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When someone knows a little bit about our field, they're not just interested, they're interesting too. Extroverts, we need to make space for introverts too. I'm guilty of this, but we talk so much that we fail to make space and solicit the thoughts of those that are the most thoughtful in the room, but won't speak up unless we ask them. So I want to challenge us all. Pursue curiosity. We live in an information age. We have podcasts and books and articles. Those are great. We should totally pursue those. But I want to also challenge you, pursue uncommon friendships. Diversity is great, but it won't do anything as long as the diverse people are across the room and you never talk to them. Diversity only realizes its power when you sit down with someone totally unlike you with a genuine curiosity in their story and their perspective. That's when we get ideas that are totally unlike our own. That's when we get outside of echo chambers and that's when we get to grow and expand that island of knowledge. Ask your Uber driver what their story is. I know it's tempting to just sit in the back. That's what I normally do. Um, but ask good questions. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? What's a common misconception about you? What's your go-to dish to cook? What's your go-to dance move? Because those questions have the power to break open conversation that we didn't even know was possible, to learn stories that we didn't even know were options, and to make us the type of people that we ultimately want to be around. So I want to challenge you to go let your curiosity swell and become, well, Titanic.
Thanks so much, Chip. And once again, thank you all for listening. I'm thrilled to announce the next Tea Talks will be July 30th and will feature one of my favorite humans, Jason Daiba. So mark your calendars, grab your ticket in the show notes, and invite some friends. I'll see you in a couple weeks, but until then, stay curious, friends.